might have heard that the Talica boys were gonna play some heavy shit tonight. We're here for another episode of Metal Tales from the Road. This is a very special uh, episode. The boys took a break from their Worldwide tour that we've been heavily documenting, and they did a benefit show for their charity, the All Within My Hands Foundation in San Francisco. I'm here talking to UJ. He was at the show. He's going to tell us all about it. How you doing, UJ? I'm doing fabulous. Uh, I'm still in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a very special show. I just, like... I mean, I was saving this date because as soon as I saw this date in their uh, schedule, like for several months, I was like, I knew it was going to be special. Right. So I was sort of saving it. But it's, it's actually kind of an interesting story because I was in Europe during, when the ticket went on sale. Okay. So it was a Friday, I think, 10 a.m. Pacific. So I was, see, actually, I told her, okay, I need this ticket. I need uh, the ticket is going on sale at 10. And, um, and it's in Friday. Um, so and she got the tickets to take us for us and then um, actually that same night I was also seeing Apocalyptica in Finland mm. it was just happened to be be at a friend's wedding I was, that night they were playing the first of the three concerts so I was like looking for tickets for that too wow so I got to see them so I've seen them before but it was um, it was sort of like that the day was sort of special too because it went the ticket went on sale so I got the tickets I was really excited I also was uh, got involved in the like this past May when they had the volunteer, so I was um, right. involved in that too. That was really. What were good they experience. were they calling that sort of the Metallica Gives Back Day? What was that the kind of officially called? Uh, it was like a day where Metallica I think it fans. Was the first. Uh, call it Metallica Gives May Back. May twenty third. I know it was. Yeah, and it, it was like where fans go to like local food banks of the in cities where the band has been and just help out with food yeah. for people in the community. It's pretty cool. It's cool that you participated yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. So I got the tickets and I planned my travel. So I was really looking forward to it, and that two nights ago it was very special. I, right. I won't forget it. And you live in you live in, I, Philly, you live in Philly, right? So you had to come from Philly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did did you was it just for that show? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I don't just go for. I mean, I travel from Metallica shows, but I just don't travel shows. I mean, I have friends here, so I kind of make it as a Metallica show without visiting friends and just relaxing. Um, but like, I know I've met I met a lot of uh, familiar faces that night uh, from like the guys from California to self destruct yeah and um, a few other guys like um, so I met them too but they kind of left immediately but I, I'm here for like I was here for like a few days okay cool uh, okay so let's talk a little bit about before we get into the show because it was a very cool show in my opinion a very cool unique set list. They yeah. auctioned a bunch of shit, Cage the Elephant played. I, I want to hear all about that in detail, uh, but let's just for a minute get a little oriented with you as a Metallica fan. You said, you told me earlier that you came online in 96. Yeah, so 96, I mean, so I'm originally from the Files. I grew up, I was born and raised there. Um, so it was 1996. Um, I think mid-90s was when um, a lot of FM stations uh, was popping up. And I mean, the Western music in Nepal had already entered like, through the travelers traveling in the 60s and 70s. So, but I think in the 90s, the FM station were booming up and the mixtape was really big. Oh, right. So I got a, 
So my brother had a mixtape of um, different songs, like Agnicky Joe, Gina, and there was a song by Metallica, like Unforgiven. So I heard that, and I was like, wow, this is so unique. <laughs> like, like, really, like, they had a really unique sound. So I really, so I first bought uh, the Black Album um, in 97, but I was introduced in 96. So I was also learning guitar, like mm-hmm. in school, we had like a, technically I listened to a lot of different stuff, like, Spice Girls, Boy Jones, to Nirvana, to everything from the 90s. Um, and then I was also into uh, Joe Satriani, all those sort of stuff. Right. Um, so Metallica was also big. And then, so I first bought, but I remember buying like um, the Black Album and uh, Guns N' Roses, Greatest Hits. Nice. Uh, and then uh, Eagles. So they were like, but they were all like pirated cassettes. They were not originals. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there's like, Technically, like, you could buy then, like, MP3s for less than a buck, like, a very bad quality MP3s that would have, like, all the Metallica albums and stuff like that. Right. Um, so I got those albums. So Black Album was was the first that I was initiated to Metallica. So what was going on with you? What, what was the load-reload situation? Because that would have been heavy in that time. I and mean, were you hearing those records at all? Yeah. Um, I think, so after Black Album, I went on both sides, like, outside the discography i went before that too i discovered i think justice for all uh, and then master of puppets i like borrowed cassettes from my friends and i bought a few on my own and then i also got load and reload i can recollect like growing up in like nepal and Kathmandu, so we had like so there were a lot of um, in the national television they were also in, like a uh, developing and i remember uh, this was 97 like unforgiven 2 like the video of Unforgiven 2 used to be on TV a lot, even in like national television. Yeah, I remember that. We had like one national television and one another channel that kind of borrowed time from the national television. And then they used to show like Unforgiven 2 and it used to be like all the time. And then um, like in 96, Unforgiven 2 was on the, on the TV and Until They Sleeps and Hero of the Day. Those were the ones. Did you Did you like the music? Unforgiven 2 was the one I really, was my favorite back right. then. And when did you, what was your first concert? When were you able to finally see the boys? Uh, so I came to U.S. in 2004, like for higher, um, as an international student. So I came here in 2004, um, August. And then within like, my bucket list was, one was to go to New York City, <laughs> one was to see Metallica. And I think I did both like within two and a half months. Nice. I first like came to US. So, so my first concert was in um, Philly, October nineteenth, two thousand four, nineteenth or twentieth. Um, so that was my first um, concert. Uh, that was in Philly. Um, so I've seen them. Let me count here: one, two, about twenty. So about twenty-one times. Twenty-first show this past Saturday. Okay, great. And awesome. that doesn't include the Metallica night baseball earlier this year right and then in 2014 i got to see hetfield in um the first acoustic for a cure organized by sammy hagar okay cool and then i saw them in rock and roll hall of fame 2009 wow um, okay Madison cool. so that including that i think that's i think that squarely puts you in the in the diehard category i think you qualify like uh, after like st- people started recognizing me in my like, concert and we made some familiar faces and I was like okay maybe I'm in that category but like I mean, the other guys who've been to like 50, 60 and I think I, I know some guys who've been to 100 plus oh yeah 
think, yeah. right? Yeah, I call them insane. Yeah, my, our friend Aaron Ginther and uh, Sarah Sobeck and her husband Pete, they're, these are the ones I know of. There are hundreds of these people, but yeah, they're up in yeah. the 50s, 60s, 70s, and it's cool. It's exciting. I have to live vicariously yeah. through them because I, I just simply can't figure out how to go to that many shows. And this show that you went to, I thought was especially cool. I really couldn't wait to hear it. I had, just because of my schedule, I was really busy. I had no idea they were going to have guest musicians. I didn't even know KG Elephant was going to be opening the show. So mm-hmm. t- tell us about, like, uh, did you get into town a little early? Did you get in town the day of the show? Get us to uh, get us to that place. I came here on, um, like, two nights before, on Thursday. So on Friday, I was just, like, working remotely. And then on Saturday, I uh, picked up the other guys. went there early to, like, meet the band when they were arriving. But I, was, I, I went there around... Um, I think the show was that the doors opened at seven or something. I went there around. I would say exactly at seven, at seven p.m. And I met. Um, yeah, we were just taking pictures. And as soon as I'm taking pictures, I met Edgar from California to South. Yeah, yeah, he's a friend of ours. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we chatted for a bit. I, I met him in um, the shows like a few months ago in uh, Madison and Minneapolis. Okay. So um, we chatted with him, and then met the other guys. And there was a, um, another comedian or somebody who opened up. I didn't get to see them. I mean. I didn't want to see them because I just wanted to check the um, like the items that were on on uh, auction. Yeah, tell us about some of the items. Oh my, uh, yeah, I was like more uh, intrigued by the the honey, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would, uh, I would totally buy that honey. But um, there are a lot of items. So the baseball stuff. There was some Rolling Stone like extra large uh, front page signed by U2. So it wasn't just Metallica stuff. No, there were other items too. Because if you look at the the link that they sent like a few days ago, mm-hmm. that was emailed by. It was from Honey to like watches to leather boots of Lars and Kirk. Personal personal shout out by La, um, James on stage. Uh, James is uh, Martin to Robert, a bass guitar, hmm. to a dinner in um, a Salesforce Tower. Uh, with the champagne, with Lars, like they, they were like a lot. What was the most expensive item? Uh, the photo session with Herring and Herring. That was like thirty thousand. Oh, uh, I don't know what Herring and Herring is. What is that? Oh, the the, the guys uh, who took the, the photographs for the album cover. Oh, okay, gotcha. Wow. So that was only in the website, um, the bidding website. That was only labeled as thirty thousand. But the other ones, like for example, personal salad by James Hetfield. I mean, that's like priceless. Right. Know? Right. Tag a price to that. So. There was a, there were a lot, but on the um, music venue itself, there were only like physical items. Gotcha. But some of the items were only online, um, and there were like photos by uh, Ross Halpin, obviously. The dinner for two in Salesforce Tower, I think. And did and so was all this in the lobby of the venue? So you go in the venue, you've yeah. got your ticket, all this shit you can bid on in the lobby, and is it kind of silent auction style, or like what's the vibe yeah. of that? So I think you just have to like log in. Because I'm mean, technically people from other, like remote, can also um, bid on that, right? So I think you have to log in and then bid. It was like a silent auction. So if somebody else from like Russia can also technically bid online, right? So I think it was up to date. But I don't know when the bidding ended. I wasn't, I mean, I didn't bid on anything. Right. I wasn't really uh, paying attention. But I know the bidding closed like the same night. Or maybe they're still going and I haven't checked the website yet. Were the tickets hard to get as a fan or did they have just fan tickets you could get? Yeah, I mean, it went on sale um, that day, and then two weeks before the show, but I already had tickets, but they were very limited on the balcony section. Okay. Um, but, I mean, there were two seats beside me that were empty. Like, mm. I don't know if 
people showed up, they decided to stand like on the top of the balcony, or they were empty. So I don't think technically it was so, maybe it was sold. Out, I don't know. Or they got too hammered. The, they got too hammered during the auction and puked in their shoes yeah. and had to leave. Yeah, probably. So where were you at in relation to the to the stage? Were you on James's side? Were you on Kirk's side? Where where were you at? So I was on the um, like second. I was on the last row of the balcony. But it was the the thing is, I thought it was, the venue was really small and intimate. Right. It didn't like. I thought it would be, I would be really far, but it was. Even though this was the last row of the balcony, but I was on the left side of the stage, so on the Kirk side. It was a really intimate venue. It wasn't really big. How many people do you think were in there? So what's the venue? Um, it was like a Masonic. Well, what is that venue? Yeah. I just had it up here. Damn it. Why did I click away from Whatever that? Whatever the venue capacity is, probably I'm guessing 80% of that. Because there were tables here. It wasn't like seats in the, the orchestra section, right? Right. So I'm guessing probably 1,000 plus. Let's 1, see. It, it was the... Uh... God damn it! I just had it up here. Pretty about a thousand people. That's intimate. Yeah. And did you did you catch KG Elephant at all? Yeah. So I missed the. I think I got like a few minutes of the first um, comedian or somebody who was there to entertain, and then KG Elephant took the stage at eight. Uh, but I, I've seen them in um, uh, in a festival last year. Um, the beer, oh, what is that festival? Outside Lands. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, they played before, so they were really in a, like they were really like high energy band especially the vocalist but yeah i think they played for about 15 minutes so you've made your way out to san francisco quite a few times yeah i've been here yeah been a few times it's got to be fun to see the band kind of in their 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 hometown you know i know that they don't all live there now but it's kind of metallica's hometown right san francisco you've gone to the the uh giants games and shit so yeah that's cool actually i've been to let's say i've been to giants uh the been to the night before that right. was special. Right. I've been to Oakland, uh, the last show of 2016, Oakland Home Show, uh, the Fox Theater. And I've been to the Fillmore Show uh, with Hedrill and Sammy Hagar. Right. That one. And you're familiar with these kind of stripped-down shows. I mean, they yeah. there are a few surprises here in the set list that we'll talk about. But in some ways, it was sort of like kind of the standard fare for these stripped-down things. Turn the page and, mm-hmm. you know, please don't Judas me and all this. Um Real quick, so you said KG Elephant played 15 minutes, so what, they only play like three or four songs? That's a pretty short set. 50. Oh, no, 50, 50. 50, gotcha, okay. Yeah. <laughs> about to say, wow, that's a lot of work to have the boys come out there and just play a few songs. Yeah, but they were like, I've seen them before, but I wasn't, I'm not a big fan, but I'm, I knew one familiar song. But they sounded better, like, towards the second half of this at least. Yeah. Like, my ear, I don't know. Well, I, I imagine that a venue like that is that's not really set up for loud music. It's probably hard to dial in. And they, I'm sure they yeah. had a sound check, but you know, sound checks, sound checks sometimes are useless because you're trying to get the room sounding ready, but it's completely empty. When you get a thousand people in a room, it just changes the sound. So, so okay, so Cage Elephant plays. What is it? It's like a normal concert. Is there maybe a thirty minute changeover before the boys come out? Yeah. So they came. They took around nine thirty. So they wrapped up at eight fifty. So there were forty minute. 30, okay. And they took promptly at nine thirty, I think. What was their vibe when they came out on the stage? Were they looking casual? Were they looking glad to be there? You know, it's obviously not a big rock star kind of thing. It's a charity event. So was it interesting yeah. to see them sort of more laid back? Yeah, I feel like their home shows are they're always laid back. That's what I feel. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I 
felt. Because they're always like relaxed mode. That's cool. And and so, did you know there were going to be all these other musicians? Oh yeah, as soon as I saw like when the Kiss album went playing, as soon as I saw like the keyboards behind the stage, I was like, okay, there's got to be some um, other musicians there too. And I, I've I've, um, I've watched some videos from uh, sorry from um, the Bridge Benefit concert, mm-hmm. but I don't remember there were musicians. So there were a total of four extra musicians. One was on the key, uh, keyboards, one was a mandolin player, uh, one was in percussion, and the other one was uh, there was one more pedal steel. Uh, yeah, pedal steel guitar. Yeah. Yeah, let's just go ahead and let's go ahead and give them some credit. I've just found these on the forums. Uh, David Phillips on pedal steel. I don't know any of these people, by the way. David Phillips on pedal steel. Henry Salvia on keyboards. Cody Rhodes on percussion, and Avi Vin Vin Oker from the band Goodnight Texas on mandolin and guitar. Um, I'm guessing they're just friends of the band. And but I gotta tell you, Jay, I was really shocked pleasantly at how good. Metallica sounded with accompaniment like that. It, I think it really freed oh, yeah. it, the steel guy. Really freed Kirk up. I think James and Lars were enjoying the, th- yeah. the thickness of the other band. I, I think some people maybe weren't sure about that, but I really loved it. How did it sound uh, yeah. there in person? I mean, I don't normally buy the live, like from live Metallica, right? But I think I'm um, I'm gonna probably want to get a copy of this because, like for example, nothing else matters. Like because when. Like I mean, obviously, I mean you can understand people from screaming and all that, but there was a section that the nothing else matters. The pedal string it sounded so good, but there was people just screaming and like singing too, so you couldn't hear that. But I think I want to I want to hear the mixed version of this. It's gonna sound really cool. I totally agree. I was I was watching it today, and it, you know it looks like just someone's like Periscope or something from the balcony. But uh, yeah. I had the same thought. Like I I would actually buy this show. So this disposable heroes. I love this arrangement. It's 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 probably the more unrecognizable version, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost a completely different song. What do you think about it? I think the sound was it was just, it wasn't good. I know they did the sound check probably early in the afternoon that day. Yep. But like to me, I was on the left side of the stage, but it just it was too like the the, the sound of the other guys like percussion. They were it was loud to me. Mm. I mean, the song itself was good. I've heard. The version from um, Bruce Benefit and even the '96 one, but it it sounded. Uh, I mean, the song was there. Uh, the way they played it was. I've heard that version before, but it was sounded good. But live, like the first three songs, it, it didn't sound really good because I know when they reached Judas Me, there was something wrong with James's because um, he was giving sciencing there's too much feedback. Right. Like he was he was sort of a little bit pissed around. Blind man, I think, or maybe unfair. Yeah, I've seen the video. Well, the limited video I can see, he's he's talking. I know that James hates bass. He hates to hear a lot of bass on stage, and he's making some yeah. comment about it's too much bass. And I noticed that too because it was really apparent because it didn't sound good. At all. Right, all of the sound like it was too loud. Right, obviously the Lars's drums was always loud and it was just all over the place. It only got better like uh, towards the page and like bleeding me onwards it became well and that's because and i'm sure big mix back there doing everything he can but yeah. it's just as a performer myself who i go to a sound check like every fucking day and it's just hard when you you get there early you do all the things you got to do to ensure that the show sounds good and then it still takes 20 minutes to dial it all in yeah, you know yeah. so um when a blind man cries what do you so that's my favorite cover that they yeah. do and i love I, this i, I mean i, I know 
I know they pull it out when they do these stripped down things, but I'm always glad to see it. I wish they would do it more. I wouldn't mind seeing it full band. And I love the pedal steel doing that creepy guitar part. Yeah, I love this song. I, I love the whole like original um, cover as well. But I've never, I mean, this is obviously the first time I've heard the acoustic version, obviously. Yeah, they have only played it four times. So let's see. And this was the fourth. So they did it at Music Cares in 2014. And then the Bridge School Benefits in 2016. Mm -hmm. It's fun. People are kind of bitching on the forums about the set list, but I think the set list is really fun. Yeah, I think it was good. I mean, I didn't see, I mean, uh, in my life, I did the Beatles. I don't know what else. Oh, yep, yep. Because they did that one. And uh, uh, Until It Sleeps, I know James is done. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that Beatles cover is awesome. Yes, yeah, didn't do that. It's like, especially, it's like they only choose really good songs, even when they made chose this song to record for um, the Purple like tribute album. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like such a solid choice. I mean, it was my, I'd never heard this song before. Me neither. Me neither. Like, just, I love how Metallica introduces fans to other music, like even like Garage Inc. Like, totally. I've never heard yeah. of, like, of those bands. Yep, same. Yeah, same. I was actually reading an article just the other day about it was the Budgie guy, and he was talking about how Metallica recording the Budgie songs basically saved him from bankruptcy yeah, and stuff yeah. and and uh and it's cool meanwhile we all get turned on in the meantime i went and bought the deep purple record that when a blind man cries is on it's on a record called machine head and mm. you know just like i'm still going and checking it out and their version is great too by the way if you like mm -hmm. metallica's version uh, it's worth checking out deep Purple's. Oh, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty cool i've heard the live version too I mean, they must have so many live present, but uh, with Steve Morris, that's pretty good. Steve Morris, I know, he's just wailing on it. It's a, and it's yeah. got a great solo. I thought it was really cool that Kirk was playing a 12-string for most of the show. 12-string is, like I said, a six-string. It's got 12, and each string has, like, an octave above it. So it's got this mm -hmm. real chimey, unique sound. And mm -hmm. I think because he had some of those backing musicians, he was able to stretch more and sonically be a little different. And even his solos with the 12 string I thought sounded really cool and unique. What was the vibe? What was your perception of Kirk and his vibe? I actually need to go back and see my videos that are like online because James was always changing his guitars almost every song. Right. And then Kirk was playing like he wasn't playing solid body acoustics like cuz he had to play lead part 2, right? Right. So right. they were I don't know which prime is is, but but some songs it sounded okay. I have to check those like recordings and like videos and like when they put up the official mix on their website. I wanna like have to listen carefully at like, like, um, Kirk's sound. How did you feel about the Unforgiven? Yeah, that was good. Uh, I think yeah, he played Kirk played uh, the solo with the mandolin, mandolin guy. I think. Nice. Yeah, I think so. It was a uh, yeah. But like the thing is, like Kirk always plays. I mean. You don't have to play the same exact as electronic recording, but you cannot do that for Metallica's songs. Like you have to tweak it a little bit, some solos. But I think right. he, James is uh, James is on a different level. But I think Kurt's still like, I mean, he's, I mean, it's okay to play the same stuff from the whatever you play electric to acoustic, but you just cannot like, for example, um, I mean, Unforgiven solo is really. You gotta have that. It has to be an electric, like a guitar with like. Oh no doubt. That. I mean, I I would shit my pants if I had to play that solo on an acoustic. No thank yeah. you. But he used like different guitars. It's not like solid body Martin like for like uh, to play more like a lead part. Yeah, it, it looks to me like a, it's like a thin. It's like a thin bodied 
uh, electric acoustic yeah. that's easy to bend the strings yeah, and play like yeah. a lead guitar. That's why it sounded so uh, different um, from right. from like he used uh, different guitars. All right, well, moving on. Please don't Judas me. This is a song that I'm not super familiar with. Um, they've only played it four times as well. I, I know it from the Fillmore show in 2011. Are you a Nazareth fan? Are you already aware of this song? Or what do you think about Please Don't Judas Me? The only Nazareth song I'd heard before was Love Hurts. I think okay. Love Hurts. But Is that, that was, Nazareth? I didn't no, even know that. No, I, I think it was covered by... I just found out that it's covered by Nazareth, but it's actually... The original songwriters were some other band. But their, okay. their version got famous. And uh, when I was like... In you've the, probably heard... Uh, if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you've probably heard uh, Hair of the Dog. Have you ever heard that? Mm, now no. you're messing with a... Son of a now, you're messing with a son of a bitch. You never heard no. that? Okay, well, not, sorry I just sang it to you. I, I apologize to you and all the listeners out there for having to hear that. Uh, okay, so go ahead. Please don't Judas me. So you just really know Metallica's version. Yeah, I've never heard this song before, um, except like the one that Nazareth Lovers. Um, but yeah, so at this point of the set list, the sound, because James was still not happy with the sound. There was still feedback. And uh, he had already um, cut cut that sound or like, cut that feedback. So Judas Me was the peak when it was the sound wasn't good. And Jim, I feel like James was a little bit pissed at that point. I'd hate to be his monitor engineer when he's getting oh pissed God, off. I, I'll it, tell you that. So like, I don't. I was like getting very anxious because I don't like to see. Nobody likes to see James like angry or pissed no. off. Like no, 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 no. And my flashback was like I immediately went back to that Grammy show. Oh my God, I want, I want like a good show. I don't want him to be pissed off. But like, which show are you talking about? No, meaning like I compared that to the the Grammy Award. Uh, the, the, with oh Lady yeah, Gaga. yeah, with Moth. Yeah. yeah, when he threw his guitar yeah. and shit. Yeah, I didn't want to be be his buddy in the green room when he came back from that performance. That's for damn sure. But I do remember like um, him taking a breath, a deep breath after the song, and, and Lars was doing like a count because I think he was trying to just loosen up a bit too. So he was constantly. Just talking with Lars, like swagging, like saying, "Hey, is this four count or eight count?" So Lars was doing like eight count, like one, two, three, four, for for like several songs, and then at one point mm-hmm. Lars tells him, "Hey, do you want to do Judas Me again?" Because I know the song was really bad, and Jim said, "Oh wow, let's do it next year or something like that." So Lars also knew that um, he wasn't really happy with the performance, James. Yeah, yeah, it's similar. You know, they had a similar banter at the uh, Fillmore shows in 2011 yeah. when they he was saying, "Does anyone?" They played "Don't Judas Me," and I guess they didn't like how it went then either. Yeah. And then uh, when he was like, "Does anyone know what the next song is?" and Lars said, "Does anyone know Judas Kiss?" or, or uh, "Sorry, please don't Judas Me." James is like, "All right," mm-hmm. like it's a funny little report. So the sound gets kind of worked out. James is feeling a little better. Takes a deep breath, and they do turn the page. That was that a barn burner? I mean, did that bring the house down? Oh yeah, I think around that time that it sounded started sounding a little bit better. So I don't know what the monitor guys. I don't know Big Mike. I don't know who no, they it. just figured it out. It's just it's just tweaking and getting shit figured out. It sounded better. The turnabout was good. Um, I personally like this song. I played this on the acoustic. I love the song too. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, but the highlight for me was "Bleeding Me." Oh man, I know. I know that that was when I wasn't able to follow the show on the forums. Yeah. Do you ever do that when you can't be at a show? Do you ever kind of follow them on the forums? It's really fun. It's a fun thing to do. I've done it a few times. Yeah. Um, that, but that's when my phone started blowing up. People were like texting me or <laughs> hitting us with socials that they were playing "Bleeding Me." So, what was it like in the room? Because, because a charity event where like a lot of people were spending a lot of money to be there. 
you're t- it's tempting for me to imagine that much of the crowd were maybe just like wealthy Marin County friends of the band. But were there, were there a lot of fans there? So on the balcony was almost the regular fans. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. any of those guys, regular people, like spend eight hundred one grand for the seats in the balcony. Oh, sorry, seats in the, the orchestra section. But they were probably friends and family. I mean, I was kind of just checking around to see if uh, the CEO from Salesforce was also present, but I didn't mm-hmm. see them. I uh, see him. Uh, but there are a couple of couches on the stage too, by the way. Okay. Um, yep. I think if you look at the Instagram um, of RC, thanks like a few people. So I'm not sure if they were the ones on the couch on the stage, but they were on both sides, um, James' side and Larch's side. Um, yeah, that was probably get guests and family. Yeah, and then I didn't recognize anybody from from the top. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were obviously some big shots there. From, so bleeding me, how how jazzed were you? I mean, did you were you anticipating that, or was it yeah, a surprise? I was I was anticipating that song because I mean I love this song. I, I really like. Um, sometimes I um, listen to the S and M version, like late at night. Just put mm-hmm. a good headphones on and listen to the S and M. Not only listen, I like to look at the video because I don't know if you've watched the video um, of S and M. It just like it just gives me goosebumps every time. And, Absolutely. Um, so I love listening to that song like late night, just like when it's quiet. Um, it's, it's it's one of the. It was the first time. It's the first time they played it in two years. All right. When was the last time they played? The last last time they played it at the 30th annual Bridge School benefit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on October 23rd, 2016. Yeah. Well, not always, but I've I've uh, read an interview saying that "Bleeding Me" is one of a really personal song for him. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the lyrics. Um, but I have to look at the video because I to see his expression and how deep he goes into that song, like compared to the S and M, like because if you look at the video, he's like so into that song. Not only right. Jim, not only James, like even Lars, he's also mm. way well into that song. I mean, I'm talking about the S and M version. Um, but yeah, this was right. the, a little bit stripped down version, I think. Right? I, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. So this version of "Bleeding Me" it's a little bit shorter. It's so nice to hear. Uh, it's nice to hear this version with these other musicians, you know, like it breathes a lot. Um, from the little bit of video I've been able to see, James's vocal sounds great. Sounds like oh, he's yeah. singing really was, well. Yeah. Anything else to say about Bleeding Me? So I'm trying to see, the, is there an outro? I'm trying to remember. But one of these concerts, I'm just going to like not take videos, just be present and like use all my senses. But sometimes you feel like when you take videos... Like you cannot like be hundred percent like. Oh present. well, I mean, I could write you a whole. F- <laughs> I could, I could write you a fucking novel about that, UJ. I mean, I think. Yeah. Uh, he- here's the thing I would encourage people to remember, is that there are other people there videoing the whole damn thing, and you're yeah, gonna be yeah. able to see it later. You may as well put your damn phone in your pocket and use your goddamn fucking eyeballs, and yeah. uh, soak it in because you're gonna be able to watch it later. You're not the only person that has the idea that maybe I should record this, and not only that. I'm, I'll bet you a million dollars someone else is going to record it better and have better yeah. sound or yeah. a better vantage point. I know. So right, yeah. Even I think Eddie Trunk or somebody said in his like podcast that mm-hmm. he can still remember his first concert, like, even the air, like he could smell the air when he thinks about that. So like the senses, the our senses are really powerful. Like feel like we use like just hundred percent focus and present and not worry about absolutely like, taking videos or pictures. Like just be present. 
Well, and I'm not a scientist or anything, but I mean, yeah. I, I do remember, uh, I'm 35. I remember growing up not having any kind of GPS. And uh, mm -hmm. if you wanted to go to your friend's house, they would tell you how to get there. And even if it was sort of complicated, they'd say, uh, go six miles, take a left, a left after the second, whatever, 7-Eleven. You'll see a willow tree. You'll pass that. You'll curve around. And you would just remember it. Or you'd write it down, maybe, but you'd kind of retain it. Now, okay. I look at my GPS every day to get everywhere I'm going, and I still really can't even get around Nashville without it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, I did uh, see a lot of people like taking more videos throughout. But there are people who are just live streaming and all that. And, you um, know, I, I watch those. Like, part of me is kind of grateful for it. But at the same yeah, time, if they yeah. didn't want to do it, I would totally understand. Yeah. So this next yeah. tune, Veteran of the Psychic War, uh, not real familiar with that. It's a, a Blue Oyster Cult song, which, of course, they've done Astronomy, which I think Astronomy is one of their best covers, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This song they've only played twice. They played it uh, in 2007 at the Bridge School Benefit, and then they played it mm -hmm. at your show this weekend. What do you think about that tune? <laughs> I should have to go back. I think it was okay. I don't even remember, because when you play like when they start playing a little bit obscure songs, like I wasn't paying attention, like chatting with my friend, like wasn't giving like full attention. Sure. Uh, I can see how this song might be a, a stop and chat song, maybe a maybe a potty break song. Yeah, that's why they put it in the right in the middle. <laughs> right. Right when the beer, right when the beer and champagne and uh, whatever is Chardonnay is really hitting the old bladder. It does kind of seem like I'm not one of these setless bitching people. Like I'm kind of fine with yeah. whatever they want to do, being a performer myself. Yeah. But it does kind of seem like an odd choice. Like it's a song they've only played one other time. I don't know. Like mm. I, I'd rather see really any other song. It's cool though, I suppose. Mm. Are you a Blue Oyster Cult fan? Uh, like I said, like I, I guess Metallica interests me to Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. I mean, I only went back the, the first song. Oh, the, the Reaper song is by Blue Oyster Cult. Right? Yep, that's correct. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good like a radio song. I've heard that, and uh, obviously um, astronomy. Astronomy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if that was if that was a PP break, they they probably brought everyone back with the next song. Nothing else matters. Yeah, nothing was really good. Yeah. All I've heard is how haunting and beautiful the pedal steel was during that song. Yeah, and people was like screaming too because I was. I think I was. That's why I want to go back and look, like listen to the mix, like the mix version when they put it out because it sounded so good. And my soft spot is for those. Um, like I mean, like synthesizing sound, like uh, those, um, um, like the strings, the Michael Kamen stuff. Yeah, Ebo. So oh it, yeah. It sounded like an Ebo. Cool. To me, but it sounded so good. So I want to go back and listen to that like mixed version. It's, the people are just screaming. I mean, shouting too. So you can hear like people are screaming and singing too. Uh, but it sounded really good. Hmm. It's one of the most unique version of nothing. Matters, I would say. Did James do the solo? Yeah. Even acoustic, did it sound good? Yeah. Nice. Love to hear that. I think it's, uh, yeah. I think his still favorite solo is from SNM. I mean, I still remember, like, SNM, I was still back in Nepal then, but I used to listen to that in its entirety, like, while going to bed on the Walkman. Like, Me too. Two, like, I, yeah, it was just it's one of the best. Uh, I mean, I totally agree. If, if, you, if we're including live albums... It's probably my favorite Metallica record, and um, mm. I would go to sleep listening to it. I would hardly ever get past Call of Cthulhu because you'll just go, you'll put you right out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're right. Like to be in a dark room, close your eyes, put on some good headphones, and listen to that record is 
kind of a yeah. transcendent experience and uh one of my you know one of my favorite musical uh listening events to do even in my, mm-hmm. like well into my adult life it's just it's a special record for a lot of us i think mm-hmm. yeah i mean they did this so they did symphony with uh in new york and then in berlin too because it was I mean, there was re- being recorded, so they were like on the top of the game. Absolutely, and and they were able, they had the benefit so, of uh, you know they did two nights, so they had the benefit of kind of yeah. you know Frankensteining the best of those two nights, which is yeah, yeah. pretty cool. It's just that one if if you haven't seen it, that you can look it up on YouTube. The Outlaw Torn from Madison Square Garden is so uh, emotional, so intense. Not that the S and M version isn't, but. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of emotional intent, so this next song, which of course they had to play it, I guess they played oh, yeah. all within my hands. But this might yeah. be my favorite performance of the whole night. It's, it's of course really different, and uh, James sounds great on it. And it, it, it's nice to hear these songs given a little bit of love, and it's nice mm-hmm. to hear them in a way that brings out what's good about them lyrically, melodically. Are you a Saint Anger fan? Where do you where do you stand on all that? Um, yeah, I mean I haven't heard this song in a while. Mm-hmm. So I sort of like trying to when they played there I started playing I was like okay where is this I was trying to like just recollect okay what's the next part what's the next part like they played the it's a little bit different yes from the it is studio version it is yep because I, I can't remember because I haven't heard that song in a while right so but I, I uh, came out I, mean, uh, I listened to that album a lot because uh, when it came out I was still in Nepal in the Saint Anger video used to be on TV a lot. I was like super, super, super excited. Right. And when I first saw them in the Madeline Anger tour in 2004, I saw them like twice in that tour. Right. So I was like playing the CD a lot. Right. Um, but my, my weakness is like, even though, I mean, you may consider me a hardcore fan, but I don't normally like get into the lyrics part. I only get the music. Sure. But only some of the songs I really get into the lyrics and the music um, lyrics and the content but sometimes when I get into the lyrics I go really deep yeah like, and then I realize the poetry like a uh, artistry behind it but normally when I listen to songs or any songs in general I just get the music part first I, th- I think that's UJ I think that's most people like I um, yeah I'm a songwriter and uh you know I sit at I go to writing rooms every week every anytime I'm not on a stage playing I'm in some room writing a song and a thing that comes up a lot when we're trying to think about commercial or songs that are going to impact people is like most people, I just really don't think pay attention to the words until later. So they like a song that moves them, makes them feel good or angry or helps them understand feelings they're having. And the lyrics are kind of secondary to that. So I think, I think that's a lot of people. I think for for a song, I mean, like a, the time will test whether it will be an evergreen song, but I think lyrics is the, probably the most important. I would say. Yeah. Because I'm um, like just uh, for example, recently I was um, I'd heard this song by um, I don't know if you've heard this artist, a uh, Hazier from Ireland, uh, like "Take Me to the Church," the guy who's. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was uh, listening to a song called "From Eden." I've heard this song before, but I never really paid attention to the lyrics. And then I was um, practicing the song because I had to perform at my friend's wedding, and then I really. Started looking at the lyrics and I realized, oh my god, this is like exceptional. Yeah, so, it's like a poetry. I, I agree, and I, that's kind of a, a big point of connection for me. Is I, I think I'm yeah. not. I think I'm not different than most people. It's got to hit me musically, and sometimes if it's a band yeah. like Metallica or Slipknot or something, I don't know what the hell they're saying anyway. And 
you mm-hmm. you end up exploring it further. Maybe you look up the lyrics, like holy shit, that's like really good. And then you have a yeah. different connection with the song. And I can yeah. appreciate that people have that connection with uh, Saint Anger. I mean, I, I think the song "The Unnamed Feeling" has really, really beautiful James Hetfield lyrics. Some of my favorite James lyrics are in that song. So. I got to look at the lyrics on the Oh, it's just a song about like depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. how it, and he calls it the unnamed feeling and how it sort of comes on you like a storm and you mm-hmm. feel helpless. You know what I mean? Like it's like he, but of course he says it way more poetically than I just did. Yeah. Um so anyway, it was a treat to see all of them in my hands for sure. Hey, I don't know if you can hear this, but can you can you hear this lawnmower? Nope. My let me let me just vent to you and all of my listeners here for a second. My fucking neighbor, my retired neighbor, when he thinks my grass is too high, which it's not by the way, he comes over here without talking to me and he mows it himself. What do you think about that? Does that does that offend you in any way? I find it so offensive. Is this neighbor? He's just a neighbor. I don't even know him that well. But now he's interrupting our conversation cuz he's right he's bringing his loud ass fucking lawnmower and he's in my front yard right now he's just mowing it he didn't come talk to me he's mowing my yard right now does that am i insane that's offensive to me am i going crazy would that offend you i mean first of all i i don't like those like loud sound of a lawnmower yeah no one does yeah it's it's, it's too loud i mean he probably thought maybe maybe you're not home Um, Uh, or if he does this often he's done it about three times and uh Man, we can move on from it, but it's just with every with every second of me hearing that motor, my blood is boiling. Let's move on to Inner Sandman. <laughs> what was the feeling like in this room during Inner Sandman? Of course, it's their most popular song. That's yeah. never that's never going to not be the case. How's everyone feeling about Sandman? People were standing, couldn't see it. Most of, most of them were like standing, like fist pumping, like devil horns. Um, yeah, it was good. I've never heard like this was the first time hearing a stick version. Um, yeah, cool. But I really like the part. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. When James does that. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. That was my favorite part because I've never heard. Uh, I don't think he ever um, sings that part. No, it's usually like a pre-recorded tape. Right. Yeah. But I really loved when he actually. Yeah, that's pretty fun. I've, I don't think I've ever seen him do that either. Even in the early days of touring that record, they already had a tape for it. So, um, how about Four Horsemen? I know people on the forums were real excited about this one too. They could, it's kind of that same acoustic version that they did on the Poor Retouring Me uh, cycle, right? Ninety six, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I do remember hearing like ninety six aggressive for a cure. Ninety six or ninety seven? They did in the nineties because the, with the slide guitar. Right. Yeah, that one. Are you a kill? Are you a kill em all fan in general? I mean, it just depends on my mood. Yeah. But so if I were to like say my favorite like song, I would say nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. But like, it just depends on my mood because yeah. if I'm going to the gym, I'll like listen to heavier stuff. Um, then I'll remember. Oh, I need to listen back to Bleeding from S and M. Then I'll go back to listen to Bleeding. Um, but I mean, I have a broad taste in music. It's not like I listen to me like Metallica every day. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm similar. The song that I found I was interested in is they played Hardwired Acoustic. They ended the set with Hardwired, which is A, fun, because it's what they opened their big set with. B, you know, the first time they played it was acoustic, and they kind of botched it. So, you know. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah, to me, it, I don't know. It sounded a bit weird. They, I think they haven't really mastered it on acoustic yet. That's what I feel. 
Yeah, even even this weekend, you didn't think it was as good as it could be. No, I think this will have to work. It's a hard song to pull off acoustic. I I admire them for uh, for jumping into it. Um, but but it, I'm just wondering why they picked this song. I think it has a little bit. Like I don't know. There's a reason why they picked this song. I mean, Lars is probably the one who picked this song. Yeah, like, it's probably Lars, and it's you know it's the titular track off their new rec. I mean, I I could under I could see the flow chart there. Maybe um, it wouldn't be my choice. That's for sure. I might. I think it'd be cool to see Halo on Fire or. I'd like to see Am I Savage, you know, or Here Comes Revenge. Are you? How do you feel about Hardwire? Are you a fan of the new record? Yeah. I was, like, so excited. Um, so when they played in uh, Minnesota, the first one, I was debating whether I should go or not. Right. And um, I was in touch with one of, uh, like, a Metallica friends who mm-hmm. also went to that show. And uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should go. And then I was thinking of making, like, a last-minute trip. Uh, I was like... Maybe it's too expensive to just do last minute, but then when they I was listening, I was following like activity on the farms and um, the live radio broadcast on the FM. So I was like so excited when Hardwired first came out, right. like the first uh, debut like on, on the radio. Like yeah, when it came out, I went to the, uh, the record store here in Philly. I got the vinyl. I don't even have a vinyl player. Right. Uh, eventually, I want to own like a vinyl player. I recommend it. I listen. I usually get my music from Spotify. Mm-hmm. So, but I did buy. Uh, I did buy on iTunes. I bought a CD. Uh, I bought the vinyl, and then I attended. I saw them so far. I don't know how many times. Six times on the store, so I got CDs for every time. So I just gifted them. What's your uh, What's your favorite song off Hardwired? Hardwired is probably like because it's short. Yeah. Um, to see what are the other songs like, uh well atlas rise moth in the flame now oh, that we're dead moth in the flame is also good the atlas rise like when it first debuted i didn't really like that song hmm. okay like, because it was almost sounded like iron maiden ish at one at one point and but that song actually grew on me right and when they played live after hardwire was like and the balloons popping on the static like a stadium tour like so then I started liking that more. And, but when I first heard the song, now, now that we're dead, the very first time I played, I knew that was like more um, hard rocky sound. Right. Oh, oh, sorry, Spit Out the Bone. I forgot. I oh, yeah. Well, of course, Spit Out the Bone. Yes, that's a very exciting tune. Have you been able to see it live yet? Yeah. I saw it well, twice in Philly uh, on 25th and then in Madison. I would have personally loved to see, um, even though like Nolly Club is my favorite song from, I mean, S and M. But they yeah. played uh, Unforgiven two, right? In some. They did Unforgiven three. Um, oh, let's sorry, see. three, three, three. Yeah, it looks like Madison, the big, the big kind of rare song was Cyanide. You also got Last Caress, which is bitching. They they kind of quit doing yeah. it as a cover slot soon after that. But yeah, spit out the bone it's for like sure. Cyanide is not my favorite song. Do you like Death Magnetic in general? I do. Yeah. But Cyanide is like the one track I always skip it. I don't skip it, but it's not it's not in my top it's not in my top either. I, I'm with you. I feel that. I don't know yeah. why. I still like it, but yeah. yeah. Uh well UJ, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through this all within my hands foundation charity event. For those of us who couldn't go and can't be there, these are like our little windows into there. And I love doing the Metal Tales, too, because it allows me to be able to tell you in person, thank you for supporting the show, being a patron. We really appreciate all yeah. that. Uh, it's been fun having you on the ride with us. So, I mean, thanks 
thank you and uh, you guys. This podcast like the best podcast out there. Hell yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm going to quote yeah. you on that. Yeah, and just a few seconds to promote my uh, chapter. Absolutely. So I'm uh, also a chapter head of um, Hardwired to Nepal. Hardwired to Nepal. It's official for 496. Actually, California to self-destruct is 495, and we're like 496. Oh, cool. Um, so I'm like uh, thinking about starting a petition saying I could bring Metallica to Nepal in 2020. <clears throat> so 2020 is like a visit Nepal year. Okay. Uh, they're promoting like a tourism. So I'm going to start a petition. Um, so I'll probably post it on the forums. And uh, so if you guys are listening, just uh, go over through it. And then if you want to sign the petition. Well, we'll definitely partner with you and, and uh, the Hardwired <laughs> to Nepal chapter and try to get as many people to sign that as possible. I know they've got a lot of fans there. They would love to see them. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, UJ. Thanks a lot, dude. We'll talk to you soon, homie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Clint. Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Blackened, which is the official Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects that Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee a month. So go check it out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Adios. Adios.